We'll hear argument this morning in case 06457, Roe versus New Hampshire Motor Transport Association. Mr. Stern. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. Congress has left to the states and encouraged them to deal with the significant public health problem of youth access to tobacco. The question presented is whether the FAA Act nonetheless preempts the two state laws before the Court, and those laws ensure that tobacco shipped into the state of Maine does not end up in the hands of our children. It is not contested that Maine can and, in fact, has banned the, um, uh, the retail sale of tobacco unless the seller verifies the age of the buyer. Uh, Section 1555C3C uh, regulates uh, the seller and not a carrier. It uh, requires that a, in the context of a delivery sale, a seller cannot engage in that sale in the state of Maine unless the seller ensures that the person delivering the tobacco actually verifies the age of the buyer. Um, this law does not um, uh, relate to the services of a carrier, but rather relates to a dangerous substance that Congress has asked the states and left to the states and encouraged the states to deal with. Well, it's it certainly, uh, that may be true, but it certainly relates to the service of a carrier. I understood your argument to be that we can't read that language literally. Uh, exactly. It talks about what carriers have to do, so in connection with delivery. So it relates to the service of a motor carrier. Well, Your Honor, Section 1555C3C does not dictate at all uh, what a carrier has to do. It is an incentive uh, that permits a carrier, if the carrier wishes to compete on a level playing field for the legal tobacco delivery market. Um, well, yeah, it doesn't so. dictate what they have to do. They can get out of the business. Um, they can get out of the business or compete for the business, Your Honor. Uh, but the, the, the point is that the, the law regulates the retailer and not the carrier. And in doing so, um, similar to the situation in Travelers, uh, allows for uh, a market to be created. Um, in particular, however, with respect to this particular situation, Congress has spoken directly to it. And this Court has considered in the context of its ERISA cases how Congress has dealt specifically with a problem before the Court. Well, we also considered it in uh, Morales, and I thought this law was enacted in the immediate wake of Morales, which adopted a much broader reading of relates to than the subsequent ERISA cases. Um, we don't agree that it adopted uh, such a broad view, because in Morales, uh, the Court was very careful towards the end of the opinion uh, to make it clear that it was not drawing a line uh, which would bring uh, potentially such laws dealing with gambling or prostitution within the preemptive ambit of the, um, of the ADA. Similarly, in, uh, in, with respect to the FAA Act, particularly looking at the legislative history, there's no indication that Congress intended in any way to deal with um, the states controlling and regulating dangerous substances such as tobacco. Is, isn't that answering the wrong question? Uh, I, I'll be candid with you. I'm not sure that whatever Morales Traveler's distinction there is really counts here, because the the the, the issue here is is different from the issue in in some of the in most of the preemption cases, because the issue here starts with the I think the agreed assumption 
that Congress wanted to end a certain category of regulation. Uh, and the question is, would Congress have wanted, in effect, to permit a degree of state regulation when it was for a particular purpose? Uh, and and the, the, the question then is not whether Congress uh, intended or had as an object uh, when it passed this statute an interference uh, with, with the state's regulation of, of juvenile contraband. The question is whether it intended to permit any regulation uh, with respect to delivery services to survive. And isn't that the tough question that you've got to face? Your Honor, looking at the objectives of Congress, as explained by Congress in the, the legislative record, uh, it's very clear that Congress was concerned, the committee was concerned with, the proponents, such as the Federal Department of Transportation, were concerned with the effects of a particular category of regulation, state economic regulation. Uh, the committee mentioned that nine times. The United States and its well, that's that's because most regulation, you know, has an economic purpose involved. Uh, but the ultimate object, it seems to me, uh, was to to end the economic effects of state pat, patchwork transportation regulation, and and therefore I think the question you've got to address is why would they have allowed a certain category? of regulation that clearly affects the way these companies perform their services to survive uh, uh, solely on, on the ground uh, that, the, that the regulation was entailed at the state level by the state's choice to go against um, youthful uh, tobacco use. Well, Your Honor, uh, we suggest that the Court looks at the FAA Act and its legislative history, as well as what immediately preceded it, which was the Sinar Amendment. Uh, the Sinar Amendment encouraged the states to deal with this problem. The federal government. But it, the Sinar, I don't have it in front of me, but the Sinar Amendment refers uh, to, uh, to, to a number of objects of, of state um, uh, legislation that, that would be required, but it doesn't say anything about regulating transportation. It states quite clearly uh, that the intent is to encourage the states uh, to prohibit uh, or to enforce and enact laws uh, that prohibit uh, retailers and distributors from uh, getting tobacco. Right, and, and we don't normally think of, of a, um, a, a, a delivery service as a distributor of goods. I mean, we in 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 the in the in the in the sense I think that the statute meant. I I I, I read the sign our amendment reference distributors uh, as as being wholesalers, people within the industry who get the cigarettes from the, you know, the the, the manufacturing point to the corner store, uh, as as opposed simply to a, a delivery service that delivers all kinds of goods. Well, a sale uh, ex consists of several components, Your Honor. Um, order, payment, and delivery, handing it over, handing the tobacco over physically to the buyer from the standpoint of the buyer's standpoint and, and from the standpoint of, of public health perspective is the most important aspect of the transaction. It is the seller who has a responsibility to comply with the law with respect to each one of those steps. Mr. What, Stern, at the time that the motor carrier deregulation it came into effect. Were there any products 
uh, where Maine told the retailer, if you want to sell not face-to-face, you must choose a carrier that will provide X, Y, and Z services. Was there any is it is is it tobacco alone or were there other commodities? Um, interestingly, there uh, in Maine, being a hunting state, uh, there was a law in the books which required the common carrier, it specifically referred to the common carrier, to verify that the person shipping it was the the hunter with the appropriate license. Required the common carrier to affix identification tags to. The hunting, um, uh, the hunting uh, reward, so to speak, and also to make a return or provide notice to the Commissioner of Inland Fisheries and Wildlife. So Maine had a variety of of those sorts of laws on the books that required carriers to actually do something with respect to a particular type of commodity. Does the Postal Service adhere to? I don't know if the Postal Service is is used to to ship cigarettes and tobacco products. But if it is, uh, does the Postal Service adhere to Maine's uh, requirement? Uh, Two points, Your Honor. First, the Postal Service has immunity from Maine laws. And second, the Postal Service, interestingly, does have an addressee verification service for $4.10. Why why does the Postal Service have immunity from Maine laws? Really? I believe there Kill are Kill people and all sorts of stuff? I mean um, with this, I, I I hope not, Your Honor, but with respect to a variety of, of civil regulatory matters, I believe the courts have concluded that the United States Postal Service has immunity from Maine from Maine and other state laws. But it does you said the Postal Service provides something that conforms. Does it have the you must deliver it to the person, to the addressee herself? Uh, yes, Your Honor. It is not exactly conforming because it's sort of interesting in different carrier services or, or the Postal Service have different um, sort of options that seem to make clear that this is not a, a real problem to provide. The U.S. Postal Service provides an addressee verification service but not an age verification service. UPS provides an age verification service but not an addressee verification service. Uh, since one costs $2.75 and the other one costs $4.10, this does not seem to be a, an acute problem to com, uh, for the, uh, a carrier, if it wishes to compete for the market, uh, to actually compete for it and price it appropriately. Why aren't you just driving all this business to the Postal Service? I mean, uh, what, you know, what, what, what have you accomplished? You drive FedEx out of the business uh, if they choose not to incur the additional expense. And so, you know, all these people just ship it through the Postal Service. Uh, there have been efforts to deal with the, the, the Postal Service loophole, Your Honor, and — Can't do it. I mean, they're exempt from Maine laws. Didn't you know that? Um, <laughs> I, I think I heard somebody mention that, Your Honor. Um, certainly in, in another branch of government, uh, that there is an effort to deal with that problem. Mm-hmm. But uh, with respect to the suggestion we've driven FedEx out of business, uh, there's no suggestion — well, first of all, we have no evidence with respect to what this effect has had on, on FedEx. With respect to U, UPS, UPS continues to um, ship tobacco to licensees and has not shown in the record that they lost any business, that any of their customers uh, obtain licenses from the State of Maine and therefore could actually ship into the State of Maine. 
Um, what, if every, what if every state enacted a slightly different law relating to this and a slightly different law relating to every other product that they might want to restrict for a health or safety reason? Um, would, you, would you agree, then, with the respondent that there would be just the kind of patchwork of regulation at the state level that this statute was intended to stop? Well, Your Honor, the respondent's arguments do not guarantee uniform regulation. In fact, they guarantee exactly the opposite. Uh, they don't dispute that Maine and other states can ban uh, the transport and delivery of what we can call unlicensed tobacco, tobacco from unlicensed retailers to unlicensed entities. Different states uh, can have different licensing requirements and certainly uh, different licensees. So a patchwork is created. In addition, respondents agree that states can outright ban the furnishing of a variety of commodities or contraband, including in particular uh, tobacco or I alcohol. I thought that wasn't clear from their brief. I thought they had a footnote that said they weren't arguing the point in this case, but I thought they didn't concede that a total ban. I believe if one looks at, it's either page 24 or 44 of the brief, uh, they um, concede uh, that Maine and other states can ban the furnishing of tobacco. Well, do they concede that they can do it beyond uh, the, 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 the requirement, beyond uh, the, the, the force of the statute that precludes the, the knowing distribution? In other words, they, they, they're, not, they're, not, they're not appealing the, the, the one provision of subsection D that makes it a crime knowingly uh, to, to get the tobacco into the hands of minors and so on. But do they concede anything beyond that? I believe they do, Your Honor. I believe, at, I think it's at page 44, they concede that Maine can ban the furnishing of tobacco by anyone, including a carrier. Yeah, but I think that the reason they make that concession is that they say you must prove knowledge. And they're, 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 they're not concerned about, uh, uh, about intentionally uh, transgressing Maine's law. What they're concerned about is uh, uh, the additional steps that you require them to go through to make sure that there is no tobacco. Um, so they're, they're not really worried about it so long as you have a knowledge requirement. Well, there is a knowledge requirement in the first part of Section 1555D, and Your Honor's question gets right to the nub of the, the problem with respect to the lower court's decision on 1555D, which is how does Maine or any other state go about proving uh, knowing delivery of a, an unlicensed product such as this? Well, you prove it without a presumption to start with. That's, that's, what the, that's the way the, the issue is left by the, the district court. Yeah. Um, and that's why they're not worried about it, because uh, it's hard to prove. Um, without the, the evidentiary presumption, it's very difficult, if not in, impossible, to prove, which essentially makes the first part of the Court's decision with respect to 1550. The answer to that is it may be a very good idea, so convince Congress to pass a law. It's just that if every state does it differently, it's going to be a nightmare. And uh, I, I don't know what the answer to that point is. And I don't know what the answer to the point is about banning things. I'm amazed. If that's what you mean, I'm not sure what you mean. I mean, North Carolina could pass a statute that says the following. Everybody in North Carolina over the age of 16, say, or maybe everybody, including small children, I don't know what they want to pass, can smoke to their heart's delight, can buy as many cigarettes as they like, but you can't ship in a single cigarette from out of state. You think that wouldn't cause, raise a Commerce Clause problem? 
Um, a Commerce Clause problem? Yeah. Um, it depends upon how the statute is written. If it banned um, — Well, that's why I'm just not certain about bans that forbid people to ship things inside — from outside the state while allowing people to buy those things produced by people inside the state. That's why I'm uncertain about the concession you're talking about. Um, I mean, what is this uh, New York law that does this? The New York law um, bans uh, the delivery sale of tobacco, uh, uh, delivery sale of cigarettes to consumers. Uh, Isn't that the result of a settlement? The the law was uh, existed before the settlement, and the settlement, which we've referred to, um, uh, is a situation where UPS and a number of other carriers have agreed uh, to conform with it, Your Honor. And nationwide, not just for New York, isn't that so? Yes, Your Honor. And it, it reveals, uh, we think, that the, the, the nature of the laws here are not so burdensome as to run afoul of this Court's concerns. So then practically you don't have a problem with cigarettes because the New York settlement takes care of it. You're just talking about other tobacco products? Well, um, there are other tobacco products, but in the New York settlement, we can't enforce the New York settlement, Your Honor. We have our own separate law, particularly section. But I thought as a result of the New York settlement, carriers are no longer shipping directly to consumers anyplace, cigarettes. Uh, That is the intent uh, of that, Your Honor. I'm not sure how effective it has been. But by, by doing that, they have agreed and put in place a system where uh, tobacco products can only be shipped from a licensee. The thing I'm concerned about is, is assume it's perfectly legal to do what you said. Uh, I guess it still wouldn't be legal for Maine or New York to say the following. We really want to discourage people from smoking, a noble goal. And therefore, whenever an interstate shipper ships tobacco into the state, he has to charge double the price. Just double the shipment price, or ten times the shipment price. Could they say that? Um, that would seem to clearly run afoul of that. All right. Commerce- could they say you have to carry it in special packages, which the sticker, which maybe he should do, but which the sticker puts skull and crossbones on each of the packages? Could um, they say that? I don't think no. they necessarily right. could. You if they can, cannot say either of those things because of this statute, why can they say what you have to do is you have to ship it in a way that makes certain that the person who <laughs> receives it, the addressee, is the person who bought it. Um, the reason, Your Honor, is the difference between the hypothetical you proposed at the beginning of your question and, and what's going on in Maine with respect to 1555C3C, which is a mouthful. Um, at the time the FAA Act was enacted, um, it was illegal for anyone to an unlicensed retailer to sell tobacco into the state of Maine, and it was illegal uh, to sell tobacco without verifying the age of the buyer. That's a generally applicable law that was uh, a traditional sort of law that was on the books in 1994. The, the skull and pro- crossbones requirement um, is not a traditional type of law, and what this Court has done in the ERISA cases is look to see the, 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 the purpose and type of law that is before it to determine whether 
it was a type of law that was in existence and whether there was any positive indication that 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 sort of law was supposed to be preempted or not. Here, uh, these sorts of age verification laws were on the books. We have identified a problem, and everybody understands it's a problem with respect to delivery sales. It would be absurd for an over-the-counter clerk to take money from someone. Mr. Stern, can I ask you this question? Uh, to what extent are we dealing with a tobacco problem or a, a broader problem? Do you have other products that are contraband such or, or have special restrictions on who can ship wild animals, prescription drugs, firearms? Or are there other products that you regulate in the same way? There are no — I'm not aware of any that we, we regulate in the same way. In similar Do you allow strippers to ship firearms and poisonous subjects without having this kind of restriction on it, do you? There are um, not exactly the same restriction, but with respect to alcohol, we have a law in the books which prohibits the knowing um, sale or transfer of, of alcohol to somebody who's underage. Because of the, the unique situation we found with respect to delivery sales of tobacco, uh, we put this in place to make it clear how a seller goes about conforming with Maine's generally applicable law. But I don't really see why the states have a, a different interest in regulating shipment of tobacco to minors than they would to a variety of other subjects that could be harmful to minors or contraband in general. And you don't try to regulate any of those. No, Your Honor, we do try to regulate those. I, I misunderstood your question. By regulating how they may be shipped, I mean. Um, there's no law exactly like this one with respect to the other types of, of, of dangerous substances. Uh, there is — Mr. Stern, you told me in, in response to my question earlier, you mentioned only, I think, game, and you said that those prohibitions were directly on the carrier. That's yes, prohibitions, instructions for how you can ship Game, and I don't know if that, if there are other food products. Um, you mentioned only that one, and is it not the case that explosives, that that's federal regulation? The federal um, government has a role with respect to the shipment of explosives, but it has no role with respect to the shipment of tobacco. But is is there, in addition to the federal regulation, which I take it would cover? Uh, various dangerous substances, does Maine add to what the federal regulation is, say, for, for sending uh, fireworks, firearms? Um. Uh, with respect to um, fireworks, Maine, um, uh, in its discretion, has adopted uh, the federal role, uh, the, the federal view, uh, which which I think emphasizes and, and highlights the different situation we have here. When the federal government believes there should be some sort of uniform regulation of a particular dangerous item, be it um, um, fireworks, for example, or hazardous material, it does so. Otherwise, it leaves it to the states. And this is a situation where if the state doesn't act to deal with a problem of delivery sales, we have a regulatory void and nobody deals with this problem. Well, maybe because Congress wanted the regulatory void. Maybe this, uh, Congress didn't want these things to be enforced by 
regulating the transporter as opposed to regulating the shipper and the receiver. As far as the game regulation is concerned, isn't it the case that UPS won't carry any game now because of the uh, because of your game regulations? Um, uh, in their policies, they've indicated that they do not carry game, Your Honor. It's too onerous. Well, so you've sort of driven them out of the business. No, Your Honor. Um, UPS has a variety of options, such as a cash-on-delivery option, which requires them to run around and find somebody with a check, money order, or credit card. So they can price these. It's just a matter of whether they want to compete for them. And, again, with respect to C3C, which I'd like to focus on for a moment, it would be absurd, we think, uh, to have a situation where a clerk in an over-the-counter sale could accept money from a buyer, verify the age of the buyer, and then turn uh, to a third person, hand the tobacco to that person without the buyer being present. That is exactly the situation that respondents ask this Court to embrace as the intent of Congress. And with respect to Your Honor's well, — so, so long as the buyer is not an interstate carrier, there's really no, no problem of conflicting with federal law. Well, there is no conflict with federal law uh, under our reading of the FAA Act and uh, the Sinar Amendment, because uh, the, the, the intent of Congress has to be one uh, which does not end up in an absurd result. And we suggest that having this, this gaping conduit of tobacco to children is just such an absurd result. If the Court has no further questions now, I'd like to reserve my time. Thank you, Mr. Stern. Ms. Brinkman. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. If Maine's tobacco delivery law is not preempted, Congress's core purpose for the FAA will the FQAD A will be defeated. There will be different delivery laws in states across the country, and that patchwork will eliminate the efficiency and the cost savings that was Congress's intent in the FQAD A when it enacted it to deregulate the industry. If I could, I'd like to try and quantify for you the enormous impact and effect that these um, two provisions have on carrier services. Before you do that, Ms. Brinkman, would you tell us um, how alcohol is handled? Because that is, as I understand it, that's by virtue of the 21st Amendment state regulation. Does UPS carry alcohol packages from one state to another? Yes, alcohol is, of course, governed by a different legal regime because of the 21st Amendment. And, yes, they do provide services for wine and beer only. And that service has to be pursuant to a contract. It is a special contract with the shipper, and the shipper has to be licensed. And UPS and the other carriers have uniform procedures for doing that, so they are not subject to a patchwork of regulation unless there are laws in the states that are allowed because of the 21st Amendment. Well, I, I ask the question only in, in response to your impossibility argument that you couldn't cope with such state regulations with respect to tobacco when it seems you are with respect to alcohol. Well, I think it would be useful to give the quantification, I think, about the impact of these provisions. And I would first point out that um, the services that are uh, provided right now are in response to the market. 
and market competition, which was Congress's intent. And these, of course, would be services that were created in response to a state dictate, which is at the core of the problem. But just to give you an idea about the C3C, which is the delivery confirmation. Before um, you leave the alcohol point, I don't quite understand the relevance of the 21st Amendment. It seems to me if there is, you can preempt, the federal law can preempt state laws that are authorized by the 21st Amendment. I don't understand how that has anything to do with the preemption issue. I think it involves much more complicated constitutional issues of reach of the 21st Amendment. I think even in light of this Court's opinion in Gramhole versus Heald, there will be more complex issues to analyze. Why isn't it still a state regulation of shipping, even if it's a law that's authorized by the 21st Amendment? I don't see the difference. Well, it may not be, Your Honor. And the, the problem has been taken care of by this uniform service. And I have to say, that is at the age of 21. That is an adult confirmation. And that is not an addressee-specific requirement. Here under C3C, it would be a new service that required the actual addressee to sign for it. And I should comment, my understanding of U.S. Postal Service is it doesn't have to be the addressee who signs. They can designate someone else to sign for it. And there is no age verification. But here it has to be the address and there has to be um, photo government ID for anyone between 18 and 27. And if I could just well, for what a if a, What if a new carrier said, well, I'd like to get in the business of shipping tobacco products. None of the other companies want to do it. I want to form, I'll form my own company. It'll meet all these requirements. Would it, would it then be preempted? If the state was dictating a service that Made. Well, they're saying the retailer must use a service that f- fulfills these qualifications. And if there are services out there, why would the law be preempted? It would depend on the effect on the carriers. And if I could. Well, I, I assume that, the, that the, the purpose of the federal law was, was not to enable services which would not otherwise be provided at all, but rather to enable services to be provided more economically. To driven reduce by the course, the cost of interstate transportation. Driven by market competition, sure, Your Honor. The I evidence mean, somebody would, would come in to occupy the void, but he would, he would charge a heck of a lot more. But in this case, the, the evidence demonstrates in the Court of Appeals Appendix, there's a deposition by Ms. Mizell, which explains at um, pages 163 and 189 that it's not flipping a switch to create a new service like this. Many systems would have to be completely re-engineered to take in new data about age and addressee. There would have to be a new system for the alert. There would have to be a new system for reading the alert. That takes one and a half years, 18 months, for that modification to occur. That's an enormous effect. And I would also like just to look at — But that's the effect on UPS. Is that not right? On the carrier Does services. Does that foreclose the possibility that somebody else might just specialize in delivering tobacco products, for example? Your Honor, um, if there were a requirement under Maine law, for example, for a widely um, already established adult signature requirement, that may have a different preemption analysis. It, there certainly would not be the problems of uniformity, but I don't think it could be something that's dictated. And if a carrier well, — There would be a problem. I don't understand that. There would still be a problem of uniformity from state to state. Yes, Your Honor. And I think if, if Maine did it for all products, it would be okay? It's, it's only they're doing it for tobacco that makes it bad? No, Your Honor. No, I didn't think so. And uh, that cost that I just described has to be multiplied for 50 states and many commodities. 
And also, if you look at the um, 1555D, the prohibition on um, unlicensed tobacco um, retailers sending to a consumer and the imputed knowledge, the law that has strict liability on the carrier if there is a box that has a shipper's name from the Attorney General's list, that imputed knowledge would require that every one of the 65,000 or 16 million packages going to Maine every year be examined for the shipper identification. And in the record, there is um, the state has admitted at J96 that that kind of research to look into, and in this case it was looking at the sender, but it would be the same for the, um, the shipper. I mean, it was looking for the addressee. This would be for the shipper. Is $2 per package. Well, how, did they deal, how did they deal with under the New York settlement? I take it this would be a problem under that settlement because it doesn't touch selling um, from to a licensed uh, dealer. And so uh, under the New York settlement, which operates nationwide, what does the carrier do to make sure that the recipient is a licensed dealer? Under the New York settlement, there's a very complex structure that the carriers have agreed to, first of all, forbidding all um, delivery of cigarettes to consumers. Where, where, where does that appear in the, in the materials? Do you remember where, where um, it there is? There is a citation to it in the um, petitioner's but, brief, Your Honor. No, no text of it. Um, it's available, I believe, on the uh, Attorney General of New York's website. Um, and there's a very, um, uh, for example, in the UPS assurance of discontinuance, there's a three-tier disciplinary scheme against shippers that are found to violate that. And the carriers entered into these agreements under threat of criminal sanctions. The New York statute made one offense a um, uh, misdemeanor and a second offense a felony. And the carriers who had been trying to abide by those laws were faced with subpoenas and the threat of prosecution. And so their solution was a uniform nationwide policy, no cigarettes to consumers. Ms. But of Franklin, course, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in two things. Number one, I want to make sure you completed the quantification uh, point that you, you made, and you, you pointed us to some place in the record, because the uh, petitioner said, oh, it just costs a penny a package or something like that. Uh, and, the second, and, the, and then the second mm-hmm. point, I, I think probably not related, is, is, is the question of, of, of knowledge. Um, I, I take it uh, you're not contesting that uh, if there's actual knowledge that it's a minor, that there can be a prosecution. But I'm, I'm not sure how that works if the company, because of the imputed knowledge, mm-hmm. uh, suppose the officer of the company or some shipping uh, clerk knows it. Wouldn't the company be liable if the company were subject to means? So there are two different questions. Uh, to your first question, just to complete it, Your Honor, at JA 96, there is an admission that it's a $2 cost to research a package. There it's for the address for the addressee, but it would be the same for the shipper. And if you had to do that for the 16 million packages going to Maine a year just through UPS, it would be $32 million a year. Turning to your knowledge point, I think this is a very important point that the Court was discussing earlier. Justice Scalia, I think you were discussing about the general ban. And, Justice Ginsburg, you mentioned our footnote. You have to know what the details of the ban are to figure out whether or not it is preempted. In this case, the First Circuit at PEDAP 29 explains why its construction of the first sentence of 1555D, which prohibits the, any person from knowingly transporting contraband tobacco, is not preempted. But it makes very clear that this state law is preempted by its PEDAP 29 to the extent that Maine's tobacco delivery law requires or has the effect of requiring 
carriers to implement state-mandated procedures in the processing and delivery of packages that's preempted by the F-Quad-A. So to the extent there is a general ban against knowing transportation that does not require that does not impose a strict liability requirement. It's the strict liability requirement that says it's not just knowing. You have to look at every shipper's name. You have to look at every side of that box, and then you have to decide who the recipient is. Ms. Craigman, I'm fascinated by this, uh, this New York settlement. Uh, you, you say that, uh, that um, Maine can't do this, but you say if a bunch of states do it and they twist the carrier's arms hard enough, by threatening criminal penalties so that the carriers say, okay, I give up. And then they agree to limit their transport. That's okay. No, Your Honor, I, I'm sorry if I gave that impression. Well, that was I, I mean, you're violent- speaking about the New York settlement as though that's hunky-dory. No, it is. No, a, I'm, it I'm is- not sure that if this, uh, if, if this uh, uh, federal act uh, means what it says, that that kind of settlement isn't uh, the kind of thing the act did not want to happen. Well, it's a voluntary agreement. Voluntary under threat of criminal penalty. In which the carriers adopted a uniform approach. That's that's nice, but what about the consumer? The the act was not just for the convenience of the carriers. It was meant to to serve the convenience and the economic benefit of of the consumer. I I expect a consumer might be able to challenge uh, that that New York sale. I'm just surprised you accept it as, well, you know, so long as the carrier coughs it up, it's okay. No, the assurances of discontinuance, specifically I know that Federal Express and UPS has reserved the right and do not concede that uh, the New York law is not preempted under the F-Quad-A. There is no concession there, Your Honor. I, I want to make that abundantly clear. I also wanted to um, address the state's uh, Just on the knowledge point, I'm, I'm still not sure of — I, I don't want to ask you if you concede uh, that uh, a knowing delivery would, would, would make you liable. That's what the First Circuit says. I, I, I suppose that's not before us, so I have to take that as a premise, as a given. I, I think, though, if I it, could It's a little bit hard to write the opinion your way with that, with that concession. That's, that's my problem, or, I, or with that uh, premise. I think if you understand what the First Circuit was saying, this is a total ban on knowing delivery. It doesn't require the carrier to change their services. So — we, um, the carriers don't have to go out and in the, you know, hundreds of countries that they operate, change the intake procedure for shipments to be able to have all the data and all the systems no, you would need to have to see. they are presumed to have read the label if there's a stamp on the label. Isn't that correct? You go to the end of the system is where the knowledge would come in, because in reality, under the current operating services that are provided. Oh, would you answer my question? May they presume that if the package is labeled cigarettes, that the delivery, delivery person knows that? I wouldn't necessarily say a presumption, Your Honor. It is evidence that can be used, that we recognize that. I think some of the amici suggest that we say it, is not, it can be used. It's not a presumption. It cannot be something that deems knowledge. And I can just give you some examples of practicality. The two um, employees who actually see the box, it, loaders and sorters, it's going by so fast they don't, aren't reading anything. A, a, the preloader who puts it yes, into the truck pick up the package and the driver. The label. But what you have to understand is um, sometimes they're packed four high. Some deliveries are ten to one business, and each side of each box is not viewed. 
oftentimes the scan on the barcode is done from a distance. They don't. What the loaders look at is the zip code. And actually, with increased automation in Mr. Butler's deposition, which was um, filed um, back in June of 2004, he talked about even greater automation where they won't even be reading the zip code. Well, but the way I, I, I'm telling you, I assume the way it works is, is, is that the, uh, the UPS truck goes out to the, to the tobacco uh, warehouse and, and picks up uh, 4,000 boxes, all registered tobacco. He certainly knows there's tobacco at that point. That's not my understanding. That's, that's not the evidence in this case. There are many ways in which the system um, comes in, and I certainly think that could be a different question of knowing, and that would be a question of proof. And it can be evidence. But I'll tell you, if there was a driver who, for the past month, had found three boxes of tobacco and turned them in and said, you know, these can't be delivered, and one day one box got through and he didn't see it written or was written in light marker or it had, you know, bled because they used the wrong thing. There's no uniformity of size or anything. No, I think that would be a question for a jury to decide about knowledge. And it can't be a presumption and it can't be deemed. It is a question of knowledge. Can I ask you this question, which is where I'm having a little trouble on your side? I, I think I would agree and you would agree that if a state were to say to protect the consumers in our state, anyone who ships in goods must do so in special padded cars. Use whatever shipper you want, but have to have special. That would be uh, illegal. Yes. Can California say anyone who ships lettuces into our state has to use refrigerated equipment? One product, not all products, and a good public health reason. Your Honor, that would be for Congress. And it would have a so you'd say that would also be preempted? I think you have to look at the specific statute. And when we went through and really looked at the statutes that the state cited, you can see in our, our brief we set out a third of them have knowledge requirements. Another group, for example, Maine's Fireworks, when you trace it down, it looks like a local commissioner does it, and then they adopt these standards for an association. And what is it? It's the federal standard. So I, I think I you know, really I, have why, to bore why, into that. Why is it that knowledge requirements have a different preemption analysis? I, that's what I, I'm finding difficult to understand. Because the way in which the, the First Circuit construed the first sentence is just to be a, a ban on knowing um, transportation delivery and said it can't require, on pages 26 and 27, it says it different ways, that if a, if a liability standard of a state is preempted, if, for example, it requires modification of the delivery methods other than declining the package. It's in the normal course of the services that are already provided. If there is knowledge, that is evidence. And there's clear preemption in Justice Breyer's example. If California says you must ship certain products in refrigerated containers, that is definitely preempted under your analysis. If there was no federal regulatory. Yes. That statute is definitely preempted, but a state cannot insist on that. And I say, well, could they insist on firearms being uh, shipped only in labeled packages? There's many federal regulations about no, the Could a state do it beyond the federal requirement? No, Your Honor. It would have to be uniform. And I, I think that's a great example. The, the federal scheme for hazardous materials is extensive, and that is what carriers are, are focused on, on uniformity, on the best way in which to provide these services. If I could, I just wanted to discuss um, for a moment why we really would urge that there is no um, health and safety exception or that, that this can be read to be limited to economics. First of all, before you get into that, mm-hmm. do we have to uh, hold, assuming we agree with you, 
do we have to hold that the knowing requirement of the first sentence is okay? No, I don't. Even though the other provisions are not okay. We did not cross because I have okay. I have a lot of a lot of trouble with the knowing requirement. We, we did not cross different petition states on that. Uh, having a knowing requirement for for a hundred different products. Uh, I, I don't know that that complies with the federal law. What we um, are responding to is the cert petition from the state here. I would point out that um, an example that um, the, the court itself gave is under their health and safety exemption, that means that the state could come and just put a surcharge, whether it would be on tobacco or junk food. There is no line to draw between the position they take here and that kind of um, situation. We'd point to the text of the statute, of course, and the findings about the burdens on interstate commerce of the interstate regulation. The structure, there is a safety exemption for motor vehicles, and even that has a Department of Transportation federal backdrop against it. And in the Morales opinion from this court, they pointed to the Airline Deregulation Act, which is very important here because that statute is construed just as this is. And in the Morales, the court pointed out that an earlier bill had had the kind of economic regulation that the state here seeks, and it was rejected. And then, of course, in this very case, the Congress — the um, conference report embraced the Morales standard and, in fact, described it as a broad preemptive standard that they intended to apply here. So we believe that that is the standard um, that should be applied. But in light of the effect that this has on the carrier services, we suggest it meets any standard of related to. There's certainly an immediate connection with, and there are express references in these provisions that we would suggest meets any preemption standard. Uh, if there's uh, one other thing I, I would say, under the C3C, the provision which the state suggests does not directly dictate services, um, first of all, the Solicitor General reads the statute um, anew and suggests that there may be direct enforcement against the carriers, which certainly would change our view of that because there's an instruction requirement that the shipper give to the carrier and says state law mandates this. Um, moreover, we'd like to point out, for example, in the Wolins case, the frequent flyers uh, program that was issued was there was not a mandatory aspect of the services. And also in the court's um, recent Clean Air Act case, where there's also the relating to um, language use, engine manufacturers um, realizes that you can't regulate the seller through the purchaser. Thank you, Your Honor. Thank you, Ms. Brinkman. Mr. Hallward-Dremeyer. Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. I think there is no question that the State of Maine could not require carriers to obtain a license to deliver tobacco products and condition that upon the carrier service complying with the mandates of State law, that that would be a law that relates to the carrier's service. Now, Maine maintains that its law is saved from preemption because of two distinctions. One, that it is adopted with a health rather than economic purpose, and because it operates directly on the shipper rather than the carrier. And we don't think that either of those arguments uh, is consistent with the text, structure, or legislative history of the Act. Um, but I would want to point. Uh, you're talking about the federal act. The federal the act. That's right. But it, but it's worth noting that those arguments, in any event, only go to the provision in C3C, 
the provision that, that's in, under dispute in Section D does not have either of those characteristics. It operates directly on the carrier, and it uh, is not adopted for the health concern, but rather to support the state's licensing and tax purposes. But if I could go back to the, uh, the reasons why their argument is inconsistent with the text structure and history of the Federal Act. Um, as Respondent's Counsel noted, Congress did consider an alternative version of this bill, one that was limited to economic regulation. And the Congress rejected the Senate version and adopted instead the House version that much more broadly preempted state regulation related to carrier services. It added the provision of services and adopted the related to standard rather than uh, regulation. And so it has rejected this limitation that uh, petitioners urge. Moreover, the argument that there is a general health exception to the preemptive force of the F-Quad-A is inconsistent with the structure of the Act. There are specific exceptions in the Act related, for example, to motor carrier safety, but those exceptions correspond to other grants of authority to the Secretary of Transportation to adopt regulations and to preempt state regulation that would interfere with interstate commerce or impose too much of a burden on interstate commerce. There is no similar backstop if the Court reads into the F-Quad-A an atextual general exception for uh, any act adopted with a health purpose by the if State. If one of the big carriers decided for its own business purposes to offer a service that complied with the main law, would that have the effect of unpreempting the main law? Well, what Congress um, — what Congress had in mind in the Act was that carriers would respond to the marketplace, not state regulation. And where a service is widely available in response to the marketplace, for a state to dictate to shippers that they should use one service as opposed to another, um, we think would have a, it would be a different analysis under Morales. The court in Morales said that the test was whether there was a significant effect. Uh, on, on the carriers. And where, as here, we have the three major carriers all providing, for example, an adult signature required service for the, uh, for a state to say, well, when you ship alcohol, you have to use that available service, that would not have much of an effect at all on the carriers. And in so fact, even the if federal government all, even if they all now decided they wanted to go into this business, that would have no effect because they would have done that uh, uh, to comply with the main law rather than as respond in a response to market that's, forces. That's right. We don't think that the, that the state can adopt the law and in a sense force the carriers to to uh, conform their services to the state law and then say, oh, but now they have it. We don't think that would be consistent. It, it seems with to me rather odd that major carriers can determine the scope of preemption. Suppose there's some smaller carriers that say, we don't want to do this. Take the New York settlement example. If the New York settlement example, in effect, opens up a new kind of service, uh, all other carriers have to follow that. That's a, uh, well, there's no authority 
in our cases for that kind of preemption analysis, is well, there? I think with respect to this particular example about the adult signature required, the Court probably would need to go no farther than the fact that the Federal Government has itself recognized the existence of that service and uh, required it in a law that relates to the, the shipping of wine when one is prohibited by safety regulations from taking on the airplane with them. So the, the existence in the marketplace of this service has already been recognized in federal could, law. Could I follow up on Justice Kennedy's question, though, and specifically, do you think the New York settlement uh, if the carriers did not agree to it, that they would nonetheless prevail because the terms of it are preempted? Uh, I, I have not studied the New York statute sufficiently to, to speak to that, and, and I don't think the government has a position about that. We do believe uh, the, the settlement agreement, though, is distinct from the main law in some very significant respects. And, and the most important of those is that under the settlement agreement, the carriers agreed to re- use reasonable best efforts, uh, whereas the main provision, this is the second sentence of D, deems the carrier to have well, now. So you are, so you are pretty familiar with the New York settlement, then? I, I have so, some familiarity with it. Well, well, then I think you ought to be able to tell me whether you think it's preempted by the federal law under your theory or not. The, well, I, Your Honor, we have not taken a position on whether the settlement is, and with respect, I, although I have some familiarity with the settlement, I have less familiarity with the underlying New York statute that it was uh, agreed to in response to. Well, you, you have familiarity with the knowing delivery requirement here. Yes. Now, is that preempted under your view? In, in our view, where, as construed by the First Circuit, and, and we, we sort of accept that view, the First Circuit on page 26 of the PET app construed the first sentence of D as requiring that carriers do not act as knowing accomplices in the illegal sale of tobacco products. So construed, we don't believe that that provision is preempted. It is akin to the general prohibition on furnishing tobacco to minors in 1555b2, and we don't think that that provision is preempted. It's akin to the health exception. Excuse me? You say it's akin to a health exception. No, no. I, I, I say that it is a law of general applicability, um, and it does not require any change in the carrier's practices. What, what the imputation of knowledge does, however, is require the carriers to change their practices so that they will get the knowledge when they can. For example, take, take another example. If Maine said that it would impute knowledge to the carriers of the tobacco contents if a uh, X-ray scan would reveal the cigarette contents, it would, in effect, be requiring the carriers to install X-ray machines and pass every package that they get through those X-ray machines. That's how an imputation of knowledge can be used to direct the, the conduct of the carrier. And that's what is so problematic about the second sentence of D. They impute knowledge based upon whether the name of the shipper appears on a confidential list that the Attorney General has provided. In other words, even though in their normal practices they don't pay attention whatsoever to the, to the shipper's name, they have to incorporate that into their practices in order to avoid the imputation but, of knowledge. But the first condition, I mean, uh, the package is clearly labeled. Aren't there <laughs> some commodities 
where UPS does have to pay attention to the label? Well, yes, Your Honor. At federal law, there is federal law with respect to uh, shipment of hazardous substances. Uh, there are uniform requirements with respect to how one must label hazardous substances. But, what but it can't be, Ms. Brinkman told us, that they've got these so many packages and it's going to cost millions, but they do have to do it for a package that's labeled hazardous. Well, I, I, as I understand it, the, the uniformity of the, the symbol for hazardous substance is something that the, that the handlers are trained to scan for. Well, what would the name of the shipper be in their computer program? I mean, the shipper has to pay, right? So they know the name of the shipper, well, and they have a supercomputer. So I don't understand not, why that's not, so. Not necessarily, as, as I understand the service. The, some, many, many of the packages are delivered to a um, a company with which UPS has a contract, such as a Staples or some other kind of store, and it becomes the Staples store becomes the shipper. They are the ones with the contract with UPS, not whoever it was that brought it to Staples. So it's not necessarily part of their practice that they would have that information at all. Thank you, Mr. Hallward Remeyer. Um, Mr. Stern, you have five minutes left. Thank you, Your Honor. Um, beginning with the last series of questions, if the Court looks at pages 100 to 102 of the, the Joint Appendix, the Court will see that UPS has a computer dyad system which allows it to keep track of and provide alerts for um, shippers, uh, addresses, and consignees, uh, as well as they can keep track of what's called an SIC code, which is with respect to commodities, and they can keep track of uh, tobacco commodities. Um, there seems to be a misconception here, and I apologize for that. Maine's law is not a criminal law. It provides for civil violations of between 50 and I think it's $1,500. Um, regarding quantification, um, the only hard evidence in the record is that it costs UPS uh, less than one cent, a pack, one cent a package to look at the label to determine whether uh, uh, a, a particular name is problematic or not. Times 50. Excuse me? Times 50, because 49 other states could have different requirements, and all of those requirements might, might cost only a penny to comply with. But you add them all up, and it's half a buck. Uh, no, it is not, Your Honor, because, as uh, Ms. Brinkman explained, the, the looking at uh, or, uh, the label is done usually in UPS situation by a preloader, and the preloader is in the particular state. So it still would be less than one cent a state for each state it happens to be in. The, the $2 a package is for the actual intercepted packages. In a five-month period, there were a total of 33 intercepted packages, and the citation to the record is at page 106. By no stretch of the imagination is there any proof in this record that it costs $32 million a year to comply with Maine's law. Mr. Stern, when you say that it takes one second to, I forget whether you said scan or, or, or examine the label, do you, are you describing simply the physical act of a human being looking at the label? Uh, according to the testimony of Mr. Butler, who provided uh, a document on this, it is looking at the label and determining whether it appears to be from a um, tobacco retailer. Yeah, but you, you can't tell un unless you, you have uh, an extraordinary <coughs> memory for all the names on the Attorney General's list. You can't do that simply by looking at the label. 
And I, I thought maybe what you meant by the one second was that the list was, uh, was, was in a computer and you had a, a mechanical device that scanned the, the, the name on the label and, and it either matched something in the computer or it didn't. But I take it you're talking about physical visual inspection. Yes, Your Honor's question raises two points. Uh, first, with respect to the names, if one goes and looked at the list of unlicensed tobacco retailers, virtually all of them have something like tobacco or smokes or something in it because their goal is to be picked up on a, a Google search for somebody who's looking for cheap cigarettes or cheap tobacco. With respect to the computer system, um, and um, uh, the record is, is full of um, uh, citations to it, for example, at pages 92 and 95, they've done no study of their computer system. They have not attempted in any way to research whether any of the uh, companies on the uh, list of unlicensed retailers is actually in their system so they can be picked up by the system. No, I, I just wanted to know what you meant by the one second, and I take it what you mean is there, there is a, a, a physical visual inspection of the label, uh, and in that one second, uh, in practical terms, the person looking can tell whether the name is on the Attorney General's list because there will be some tip-off uh, in, in, the, in the name of the company uh, that, that will alert him. Yes, and, and if it is, it's put aside, and those are the 33 packages that were intercepted in a five-month period that okay. cost, but according if, to UPS, $2 a package. If someone on the unapproved list uh, wants to, for whatever reason, uh, wants to avoid a tip-off term, like incorporating the term tobacco into their label, then the person making the one-second inspection is not going to pick it up. And the only way the company is going to be able to protect itself against the imputed knowledge uh, is either by a visual inspection of the Attorney General's list to see whether it matches what the person is looking at or by some computer scheme, right? Um, the short answer is yes, if I can explain. Sure. Um, the, the way UPS went about dealing with this law was to put together the system which Ms. Brinkman and I have described. They did not study in any way, shape, or form how their computer system could streamline this and make it effective. Mr. Uh, Mr. Stern, I'd be uh, interested to whether you have any response to the government's uh, um, uh, point uh, that at least as far as 1555D is concerned, that is a direct regulation of, of the, the shipper, uh, not the shipper, of the transporter. Uh, yes. so, that, so that your point that this is not... Uh, a, a regulation of, uh, of transport is simply, is simply wrong as far as 1555D is concerned. Do you acknowledge that? Yes. We made that point with respect to 1555C3C. Okay. With respect to 1555D, it is a direct regulation of the um, carrier services or any other delivery service, which we believe is called for and permissible under the Sinar Amendment, Your Honor. Thank you, Mr. Stern. The case is submitted.